Hi everyone, you're listening to Guts and Girl Bits. I'm Alison Mitchell, a practicing naturopath, and I hope to share with you all sorts of information about women's health and digestive health to educate and empower you to make informed choices about your own health. Please remember that all information is general and does not replace consulting with a healthcare practitioner. Hi everyone, welcome to Guts and Girl Bits. Today, I'll be talking with a fellow naturopath all about SIBO. SIBO, also known as small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, is something that is affecting so many people and causing all sorts of tummy troubles. So I love working with people with digestive stuff, hence the name of this podcast, Guts and Golbits. And I'm really excited to share this information because as something that I've been talking about to a lot of my patients about SIBO I'm finding that there's heaps of people out there that are like what what is SIBO so this podcast is awesome because my guest is extremely extremely knowledgeable about SIBO she has been through the process of healing herself of SIBO and has helped countless people in their own journeys with SIBO as well we talk about what is SIBO, how does it come about, what are some of the testing options, what can we do to treat it, including different options with medicines from um, doctors like certain antibiotics, as well as different herbal options. And we talk about, you know, do we use probiotics? And if you do, what sort do we use? We talk about the different diet options because there's so much information out there. And what are the common mistakes that people make when trying to treat themselves for SIBO and how long should we expect to get better? So my guest is the amazing Kirsten Swales. She has been a practicing naturopath, nutritionist and Western medical herbalist for the past seven years and she specializes in working with clients who have SIBO. She's worked in Australia, in South Africa and Europe and she consults with with clients worldwide online. She's originally from South Africa, but she's trained and qualified here in Australia. And she now calls Bali Indonesia home. So her primary focus is helping women to heal their digestive issues so that they can enjoy a loving relationship with their body and for food and for some so that they might feel normal, sometimes for the first time in their lives. Having been through SIBO and suffering digestion issues herself for years, Kirsten is super passionate in this area and can relate to what her clients are going through. So having been SIBO-free to this day, Kirsten has gone from living with an extreme fear of food due to bloating, weight gain and discomfort to having a healthy functioning digestive system and a sound relationship with food. And that is what she wants for all other SIBO sufferers to have as well. Kirsten is so generous with her knowledge and she has shared so much amazing content in this podcast. I was like, wow, Kirsten, you are giving gold. So I'm really excited for you to listen. So anyone that has been diagnosed with SIBO or suspects that they have SIBO or even if they just have um, some health issues that they haven't quite been able to get to the bottom of, have a listen to this episode because As we talk about, SIBO is linked to so many other things in the body and it's actually not a forever doom diagnosis. You can get better. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Kirsten. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Alison. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yay! So I'm so excited to have you here to talk about all things SIBO because this is just a a topic that I'm seeing so much more of and I think is becoming so much more common as well. And many people don't know much about it, but it's one of those hidden issues, isn't it? Like, you know, if in doubt, look for SIBO in terms of gut health. Do you think that's right? (laughs) Definitely. And it's just, it's been around. I've found um, references in the studies from like the 1800s, but only recently has it been getting that awareness. And it's so, so, so common and it's something that is fixable. So I get really excited about it. Yeah. I love that you start with that, that it is fixable because it is, isn't it? And so many people are like, oh no, I've got this forever. Yeah. Whereas sometimes people get told they just have IBS and it's like, yeah, but what's causing your IBS? And then this is something that causes it and you can get to the bottom of it 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's like so common, isn't it? IBS. Oh, I've got IBS. That's the answer. So I have to eat this particular diet or take this yeah. drug for the rest of my life. And it's like, no. Oh, you don't. <laughs> so I'm really fascinated to know, how did you get into this career path? So I think like most naturopaths, it comes from a desire to fix ourselves. (laughs) I had digestive issues most of my life. And I got a bit of a joke that I probably popped out the womb on a digestive back foot. My mum said I was a very colicky baby. And then I was always just aware that digestion was, or not so much digestion, I was always just aware that food was a bit of an issue for me. So I was often hungrier than I seemed Compared to most of my friends, I struggled with gaining weight really quickly, except now that I know that I, what I know, it wasn't that I was getting fat, I was just getting bloated. So I just came to believe that it was normal that every time I put food into my stomach that it would puff out. So that's actually not normal. That's not meant to happen. <laughs> and so I was always trying no, these different sure. things. <laughs> no, it should stay the same. So I was constantly trying all these different things to just feel better than I did. So any new diet that came along, I would try the eat one thing diet. I would try eat cabbage diet. I would try the Atkins diet just so I could feel better. And I maybe did feel better in the moment, but it would always just rebound and I'd often feel a little bit worse than when I first started. So that was always a thing for me. And when I, so I traveled quite a lot in my early 20s and then around about the age of 24, I decided I was going to study something. And it just happened to be, I chose remedial massage because I like people, I like working with people. And this was an area that fascinated me. So I'd always been into natural stuff and how this can help us without hurting ourselves. And then didn't even know what a naturopath was, but the college that I was studying at in Australia also had a naturopathy course, it had a homeopathy course. And I remember going home and with my friend, we had the prospectus in our hand and we were Googling what all these names meant because I didn't even know. (laughs) But uh, just before the course started, there was a lecturer giving a talk on introduction to naturopathy. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is it. So I walked out of that room into the registrars, changed my course and haven't looked back since. So I'm so, so grateful for all the issues that I've had myself, even though they were so horrible, but it led me to where I am. And if I had to do it all over again, I totally would. I'm so grateful. Yeah, I guess that has given you that real empathy that so many people really need Mm -hmm. for their care as well. Mm. Yeah, so I can totally understand because I've probably had all the symptoms that they've had themselves. (laughs) Yay. Hence the passion for digestion. (laughs) Right. So is that what people mostly come to see you for, for digestion, or are people coming to see you for other things as well? Definitely digestion. And so now I focus, I specialize in SIBO specifically. So I myself had SIBO back in 2016. And since then, that's really, really been my focus. So I know it inside out and I get so much joy from helping other people with it. So they come to me with SIBO. Sometimes it turns out that it's not SIBO, even if they've been told that it's SIBO. So I don't specifically exclude anybody else that doesn't have SIBO. So all digestive stuff I help with. So often the method of healing up the digestive system is the same. The specifics in terms of treatment might be different, but there's so many different guidelines that apply with all digestive health. So it could be disease in my fingers like just IBS, or it could be Crohn's, or it could be celiacs, or it could be food intolerances. So all these things are my favorite topics and what people come to me for. Yeah. Okay. And SIBO in particular is something that, as we were talking about, you know, it's it's becoming more um, more well known. People are getting more awareness around it. Um, but it's been around for a long, long time. But so, how long um, have you been treating that specifically? Has it been something that you know you've just jumped, you started your practice, really passionate about it, or was there a moment where it's like, oh, this is a thing? <laughs> So it kind of evolved from my own journey. So when I um, graduated as a naturopath, I knew that I wanted to specialize in digestive health because that had been my journey. And then when I got SIBO myself four years ago, then it became my sole practice because I know it it so well because I've been through it myself and I've all the hundreds of people I've treated since then. I just know it so well and what to look out for, how to get better in the quickest and most enjoyable way because it doesn't have to be awful. SIBO treatment doesn't have to be awful. You just need to know what you're doing and I really enjoy that the past four years and then it's of health for the past almost decade I guess yeah okay (laughs) 
listening that don't actually know what SIBO is. <laughs> so can we just, um, you know, backtrack a little bit and say what actually is SIBO? Sure thing. So it's S-I-B-O and that's the acronym for Small Intestinal Bacterial Overgrowth. So it doesn't necessarily mean that there's bad bacteria in your digestive system. It just means that it's in the wrong spot. So ideally, we want the small intestine to be relatively sterile in terms of bacteria. And then we want most of our bacteria to be in the large intestine. And there's different kinds of SIBO as well. So there's two main ones. And then there's a third one that's kept more attention recently. So you have your methane dominant SIBO, where your methane gases are highest produced by the methanogens. And then you get your hydrogen dominant SIBO. And then the third one that's come out recently well, more focus on recently is the hydrogen sulfide SIBO. So three different kinds there. Ah, and the hydrogen sulfide one is not something that I've heard of. Is that something that you um, pick up particularly with the testing, which we'll talk more about the testing later? So it, there's no specific test just yet that you can get. Mark Pimentel from Cedar-Sinai is working on it, but so it's more of a process of elimination from the other tests and then also taking a really good case history, and then you can find out more about this one. There's certain kinds of bacteria that release the sulfide gas, like your desulfibrio and your Bilophila Wordsworthia. They're the most common ones. But it's that stinky gas. It's that rotten egg-smelling gas. <laughs> they produce that. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So let's talk about some of the symptoms of SIBO. What are some things that people should be looking out for that might go, hmm, maybe that's related to me? There's so many. So the most common one for sure is the bloating, especially, if, and the timing of the bloating is important as well. So if it's one to three hours after eating, then you can suspect the small intestine. If it's after three hours, then you might think of the large intestine. So that's definitely, definitely, definitely the most common symptom, but you don't have to have bloating to have SIBO. I've had clients before that no issues with bloating but still have SIBO. Then also there are issues with your number twos. So it could either be diarrhea, it could be constipation, or it could be an alternating of the two. Then you also get your food intolerances. So lactose intolerance is definitely um, a common one. And then also an issue with foods like the FODMAPs, which are your fermentable carbohydrates in certain foods. Onion and garlic would be a, the biggest two triggers for sure. So it's often an issue with digesting and breaking down the fibers in the foods. And then the fiber is the indigestible part of a plant food, so in your carbohydrates. So those would be the biggest ones from there. But then you can also experience pain, uh, gas, cramping, brain fog is really, really common, joint pain, stiffness, skin issues, so many things associated with SIBO. Okay. Wow. So sometimes it could be something that you wouldn't even think is related to your digestive system, but then it turns out it actually is. I know. <laughs> I guess so that's... Yeah, the guts is connected to so many things, isn't it? Yeah. So why are people actually getting SIBO in the first place? <sighs> Someone asked me on my Instagram a little while ago what I think the common cause of SIBO is. And I say stress. And that could be physical stress, it could be mental stress, or it could be emotional stress. So SIBO is a condition, and SIBO is an underlying cause of things like IBS. But then what went wrong to allow SIBO to get there in the first place? Because our bodies are so amazing. It's this amazing organism that is so well adapted at keeping everything in check and functioning by itself. But for SIBO to have got there, there's got to have been a breakdown in a protective mechanism somewhere along the way that allowed it to get there. A really common cause is food poisoning. So a lot of people can pinpoint it on that holiday to Mexico where they had a funny mojito and now they've got digestive issues. So food poisoning can do things with our digestive system and then somehow the bacteria is allowed to migrate up into the small intestine. And once it's in the small intestine, you have to take steps to get it out. So that could be, we'll come to this later, I'm sure, but the antimicrobials or pharmaceuticals or the elemental diet. So that's a physical stress that can cause the SIBO. But really underestimated is the emotional stress as well. So if we are constantly under pressure, and no one likes to think that they're stressed, they really don't. But if you could take like a little minute and just look at yourself and how you respond to the stressors in your life. So say you say someone scratched your car and you didn't even really care, that might be pretty low on the scale. Say you're 
went to the shop to buy an avocado and they were out of stock and you burst into tears. <laughs> it would probably be that your stress response is a bit on high alert. Um, if you're just having panic attacks, then you might be at a 10 out of 10. And I just wanted to bring that up is because when we're in the stress mode, we tend to be in what we call our sympathetic nervous system, which is also called our fight and flight. And then when we're in our sympathetic nervous system, our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest, gets shut down. So what that means is that sometimes our stomach acid doesn't get produced at the right amount or our stomach is constantly contracted. Like just if you get a fright, you can notice that you're... And then your stomach will be contracted. So the peristalsis couldn't happen, so things don't move through as effectively. So that would be really common. But in terms of like the physical thing, for sure, there's food poisoning and then a history of antibiotic use. It could be back from when you were two years old, unfortunately. Um, things like this are probably out of your control. So it's always lovely to find your underlying cause for getting SIBO in the first place, but also knowing that sometimes there might not be one specific thing. So for myself, I probably can't relate it to one specific thing, more like a accumulation of things going wrong from birth, pretty much. So then it's looking after your whole digestive system to get everything and there's protective mechanisms back in place and then you can keep it away. That's okay. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting, linking it to that sort of relative stress, isn't it, and how um, some people would say, oh, I don't have that much stress, everything's right, but it really comes down to how they feel about it exactly. how they react. Yeah. So if you're waking up at 3 a.m., definite sign that your adrenals are a little bit fried. So our adrenal glands help us with our stress hormones, so adrenaline and cortisol, which is really important because if someone is pointing a gun at you, you need to make it. So the cortisol will help us make those really quick decisions about which way to run, what, what do we do. So we need this one. But when it goes into prolonged stress, that's when it becomes a problem. If you've ever seen a zebra getting chased by a lion in the wild, while they're getting chased, they're in full-on sympathetic nervous system fight or flight. But if they manage to get away from the lion and see the lion eating a different zebra, they switch back very easily into their parasympathetic, so they go back into the rest of their digest. So you'll see them eating grass happily, no problem. And then the biggest stressors, they say, studies have even backed this up, the biggest stressors that we have these days is deadlines, so deadlines at work, and bills, so if we receive a bill, and then also even low batteries on our smartphones. So we know <laughs> for sure. It's so funny. So we intellectually know that these things won't kill us, but our body will go into the same protective mechanisms as if it would. So it goes into your sympathetic nervous system. So digestion shuts down. Huge cause. You know, I mean, for me, I've got a really good life and things stress me out and it's the stupidest things. It's things like my son won't put his socks on in time. <laughs> so, you know, that's one of those little things and, um, yeah, maybe my adrenal glands need a bit of nourishing. Who knows? But that's so relative. It's how you feel about the situation. <laughs> yeah. And then also in our digestive system, we've got the enteric nervous system. So enteric relates to your intestines. And there are more nerve endings in your enteric nervous system than there are in the spinal cord. So if you've got digestive issues and you're constantly being triggered by your enteric nervous system, say with food intolerances, that's going to overstimulate the rest of your nervous system as well. For sure. For sure. Mm. I don't think people realize that, do they? But I'm so glad you're talking about it because you've got to do um, work on the gut to treat the nervous system and you've got to treat the nervous system the gut. I know. And it's so wonderful when it all comes back into balance. And it's kind of, I see my clients go through the process. And then when I'm doing my last consult with them when they're, when they're better, we go through the intake form and compare with how far they've come and they often it's so wonderful to see that they forget how stressed they used to be or they forget how scared of food they used to be and that's when you know that god that's amazing. i love it i love it i love it so much <laughs> for both of you i would imagine <laughs> so that's, so that's really interesting. So the SIBO has this massive connection with our mental health because of the entire nervous system and all. we've got all these neurotransmitters being made in our gut, like our serotonin, our dopamine, and our GABA, they're all coming like from healthy gut. We need that 
for our healthy neurotransmitters. But what about other sorts of conditions? Are there other sorts of health conditions or other seemingly unrelated symptoms that we can link to SIBO? <laughs> I could probably tie almost every condition back to the gut. <laughs> but um, um, the main ones, I'd say because SIBO can lead to a lot of inflammation in the gut. And so SIBO can mess around with our digestion and our absorption. So if you imagine that you are making food in the kitchen and you just leave it lying around. So if you leave it lying around long enough, you'll start to get the ants. Leave it lying around even longer, then you'll start to get the mice. And then you'll start to get a whole bunch of stuff. So it gets a really big festy mess. So if that's happening in your digestive tract, just imagine the kind of bacteria that you are attracting and the pathogens that you are attracting. And it crowds out our good stuff, which usually controls that. So then that can lead to a lot of inflammation in the digestive system. And then inflammation in the digestive system, if it goes on too long, can lead to inflammation body-wide. So most conditions... Um, to do with inflammation. So almost anything that ends in an itis, so like arthritis, dermatitis, the itis relates to, even hepatitis relates to inflammation of. So all those conditions for sure. Then acne is a big one. I used to have horrendous skin. It was so bad. And then back when I was in college, it, it was okay. And then learning what we know, I came off the contraceptive pill, my skin just exploded. And then I was managing it a little bit with different herbs. And then I went vegetarian for a period of six months because it was heralded as the most healthy diet. It's like, okay, this is going to make me feel amazing. I'm going for it. So I went full vegetarian for six months, but I felt so, so, so awful because at that stage, I didn't have the digestive system strong enough to handle it. Whereas nowadays my diet is mostly vegetarian because I've worked, I spent so much time working on it and I can actually digest the food that I'm eating. So back then, I when I meant fibers there. <laughs> hey, no, and it's so good for us. We just need to make sure that we can digest them and break them down. So I had really, really bad acne when I was going through the vegetarian stuff. Now I don't. So now that I feel my gut, that's gone away. Uh, definitely joint pain for sure. And then also anxiety and depression often are connected to the digestive system as well. Not saying always, but definitely a lot of the time. If there is, there's a group of bacteria called the gram-negative bacteria, and these are the not-so-good bacteria. And then when our digestive system is out of balance, they can override a lot of our good bacteria. Just, I love to compare it to like a garden. It's, it's so similar to a garden. So if you have this garden, <laughs> the grass and the plants and all the things, and if the weeds start to take over and they knock that balance, then they can just grow and grow and grow, and more and more and more our good, our good plants would kind of suffer. There's no space for them. So these gram-negative bacteria, they in their shells, they have something called lipopolysaccharides. So lipopolysaccharides are classed as an endotoxin. So endo means within and a toxin is a toxin. So these lipopolysaccharides are so inflammatory. And then if there's a case of leaky gut, which is when the tight junctions of the gut separate and things can get into the bloodstream that aren't meant to. So if these lipopolysaccharides get into the bloodstream, and then just like the gut barrier, we have a blood-brain barrier, which can also end up leaky, so leaky brain, some people call it. And then if that gets into the brain, it can inflame the brain and cause feelings of depression. And this is even how they test the pharmaceutical antidepressants. Like they inject the poor mice with lipopolysaccharides and then test their pharmaceutical antidepressant to see if it's effective. So it's hugely connected. So, that doesn't um, get spoken about much, does it? <laughs> no, and people don't realize and they think that it's a nervous system condition when actually it's coming from the gut. And if you can fix your gut, you don't need to be on antidepressants. You don't need to be on, even if it's herbal, nervous system support if it's coming from your digestive system. There's a lady called Dr. Alison Seebecker. She's probably one of the pioneers in terms of the SIBO world. I love her. And she's got a website called SIBOinfo.com. And she's got a whole page dedicated to associated conditions. Also, because she's a research scientist, she's got the research studies backing up all the different things. So if you wanted to see more what's involved, you can go to SIBOinfo.com. I forget the exact page, but it'll be there somewhere. I'll pop the link for that in the show notes. Yep. So everyone can so how does someone find out or how does a practitioner help someone find out that they have SIBO? Cool. Uh, it's a combination of testing and, and a good case history. I highly recommend testing because the symptoms don't always match up with what you've got. And it's nice to know what you have, 
what numbers you have. It tells you which part of the digestive system, which part of the small intestine it's in. Anybody can order themselves a SIBO test. It's a breath test, and you can do this at home. And you do a special prep diet leading up to the test, which will just be based on reducing all the fermentable fibers in your diet. So pretty much you're eating chicken, eggs, white fish. You can have a little bit of olive oil and coconut oil. And if you've already been eating grains, you can have some white rice. So if you're a vegetarian, it would be just the white rice or just plain water fasting. And you do this for one to two days beforehand, depending on if you've got diarrhea or constipation. And then you fast overnight and then you do the test, which is either a lactulose or a glucose solution. And you do your baseline sample, so before you have any of the sugar solution, to see where your starting point is at. And then you'll drink the solution and then test your breath samples every 20 minutes. And that will, and then when you get the results, it'll give you a graph back of where your numbers are at and how it's tracking through the small intestine. I prefer the lactulose solution definitely to start. The reason for that is because the lactulose travels all the way through your small intestine and actually ends up in the large intestine so you can see where you're going. The glucose is also good, but because it gets absorbed higher up in your small intestine, if your SIBO is towards the end of your small intestine, you could miss it. So those are the breast tests. Um, I, there's different labs around the world that you can order from. So in Australia, I love SIBOtest.com. In the States, I use direct labs quite a lot. And you can go to directlabs.com for such Kirsten and I've put it in the order test. So it's a three-hour lactulose one. In Europe, I tend to use SIBO Lab, which is in Germany. And there's another one, Nordic Labs in Denmark. In Canada, I order through SIBO Canada. But you need someone to order that for you. So you need to get someone to order it on your behalf, a practitioner to order it on your behalf. So you can do those tests. So those are really good. And then with the hydrogen sulfide, there's not actually a test to diagnose it completely just yet. So if your SIBO test results come back flatline, what we call a flatline, so the numbers don't move very much at all, then you can suspect hydrogen SIBO. I often follow that up with the Ubiome Gut Explorer and that can and then look for, for the sulfur-producing bacteria like your desulfibria or your Bilophila Wordsworthia. You can also find them on some stool tests like the Genova GI effects. And so then when you get your test result, it's not just as simple as a positive or a negative. There's a bit of an art to interpreting it. I get quite a few people coming to me saying, I've got SIBO. And we go through their test results and we go through their case history. It's like, actually, I don't think it is SIBO. I think it's in your large intestine. So one thing I always look for is the baseline of the methane. And I look at the methane first, because if you look at methane, the What's the scientific thing? Like the CH4 stands for methane. So that's one carbon molecule and four hydrogen ones. So if your methane is dominant, then the methanogens can actually eat the hydrogen gas. So it gives a false-ish sort of reading on your hydrogen numbers. So I look at what's going on with methane first. And then if it's a baseline of five and above, then I consider large intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And you can have both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. So that's the first thing I look at. And then you're looking for a rise of 12 parts per million. So on the test result, it says PPM, parts per million. So a rise from 12 parts per million over the lowest preceding value. So say it goes from a 13 to a 15, down to a 6, then up to something else. The 6 would be the lowest number. So anything 12 and above from the lowest value is considered a positive for the methane. And then for the hydrogen, you're looking for a rise of 20 parts per million over the lowest value. And you can have one and you can have both. And I love the testing for it because your symptoms don't always match up with the type of SIBO that you have. I'm a really good example because I suffered with constipation most of my life. And usually methane dominant SIBO equals constipation. And usually hydrogen dominant SIBO is related to diarrhea. But my methane numbers were totally fine. And my hydrogen numbers were literally off the chart. They went up, 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 up off the paper and then back down again. So if I had just gone by my symptoms, I would have used the wrong treatment protocol. So I would put in all that work without um, actually achieving anything. So really important. Wow. So I'm, I'm interested that you said that you do correlate it with the um, stool test sometimes as well because that's something that I've always found really interesting to do too. Sometimes certain type of bacteria that you wouldn't have considered might be implicated. Um, so one of those I found is, is strep. Have you ever seen that? 
Tractococcus is coming from yeah. lots of times. And yeah. with SIBO, it's often not just SIBO because there's often just a big hot mess in there. So you can get your streptococcus, you can get your blastocystitis, you can get your C. difficile, whole bunch of things. And then if you're doing a SIBO treatment protocol, you can put in the other stuff at the same time. So I'm very often treating SIBO alongside parasites, alongside candida overgrowth. Because if you're going to do all that work, why not take care of everything at the same time? Really good point. For sure. So it really helps you to narrow down your, your protocol in terms of what or if any any microbials you're using and that you'd be using and that sort of thing as well. Okay. Awesome. So um I'll put some um, images in that give you a bit of that give the listeners a bit of an example of what a typical breath test might look like. But mm. I guess there's a fair few different examples, like you said, different patterns that we can watch for. So it's good to work with a practitioner for that. And Understood. then, uh, yeah, listening, listing some of the different stool cultures as well. Have you been using the GI map test, which is a more recent yes. one? Yes, I like that one as well. So my favourites are for sure the U-Biome. I feel so sorry for them. They copped a lot of flack because there was issues with billing with the Smart Gut and Smart Jane. Nothing to do with the Gut Explorer. So the Gut Explorer test is the one that shows you your bacterial diversity at the DNA level. It's absolute, It's such a good test and it's not even that expensive. It's only $89. So they're having some issues with that. So hopefully they make it through. And then other ones that I love, GI map for sure. And then I find of the stool test as well, the Genova GI effects is one of my favorites too. Yes. So I guess there's different tiers of affordability with that as well, with the GI effects being more pricey, GI <laughs> being the least pricey, yeah. GI map then, sort of in the middle. Yeah, and they show different things as well. So like the UBIM yeah. will show you diversity which is so important so we want like a diversity of 80% and above I see people sometimes coming in at 14% and so sometimes that lack of diversity in your large intestine is causing all the symptoms that sometimes people think is SIBO um, so it's really important to have that diversity it's like number one I feel and then whereas a GI effects will show you also things like your inflammation markers which the UBIM wouldn't and then your GI map is really good for parasites so love it yeah right. Okay, cool. <laughs> so we've found out that someone has SIBO or Ooh. someone's found out that they have SIBO. Yeah. What do we do? We get rid of it. <laughs> so yeah. there's different options. <laughs> yeah. Definitely once you have it, it's not going to go away by itself. So going really healthy with your food, you can help to manage your symptoms, but it's not going to clear it. So once it's got itself into the small intestine, then you need to take steps to get it out. And that could be the pharmaceutical route, so there's different antibiotics. The main ones are rifaximin and neomycin. So rifaximin for the hydrogen, and then if it's the methane, it's a bit harder to treat, so they go in with the rifaximin and the neomycin. Then my favorite, for sure, is the herbal antimicrobial route. And then there are specific ones for different kinds of SIBO. Again, why it's so good to treat, I test. So for your methane-dominant SIBO, the Alimax product is really good. And then for your hydrogen-dominant SIBO, you want the berberine-containing herbs. So you can get berberine supplement by itself, but then there's also herbs like philodendron or golden seal. They're really good. And then there's a third method, which is the elemental diet. I've only used that on three of my clients so far, and I've seen hundreds and hundreds because the herbal antimicrobial, I feel, is the most effective. It's the most enjoyable out of all of them, and the relapse rate is the lowest. So there's a lot of things on the internet that say SIBO is a high relapse rate condition. You're going to have it forever. I don't believe that. I believe that the people that relapse from SIBO aren't paying enough attention to all the other bits and bobs because it's not just about the SIBO, it's about all the mechanisms that broke down that allow it to get there. So what's going on with your stomach acid? What's going on with your motility? What's going on with your peristalsis? So people that just do the killing and don't focus on what went wrong in the first place, they can tend to have the relapse. And studies have shown that the herbal antimicrobials are just as effective as the pharmaceuticals. So why wouldn't you? One of my favorite um, gut, gut practitioners, I guess, is Dr. Jason Horlack. He is amazing. And he's got this wonderful example of the antimicrobials versus the antibiotics. So if you imagine your garden and your garden has some weeds, some healthy plants, and you want to get rid of the weeds, the quickest way to get rid of the weeds is just to set the whole thing on fire. Then they're all gone. <laughs> 
So that's your antibiotic. So they wipe out everything. I was totally expecting you to say um, Roundup, but yes, yeah, thing on fire. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll do it in a couple of minutes. Gone. Yeah. <laughs> then by the time you've done that, you've killed everything else as well. Yes. So the rifampicin and the neomycin aren't as awful as some of the anti other antibiotics, like Cipro is awful, and your uh, your fluoroquinolones. They are just nasty little things. So the rifampicin and the neomycin aren't as bad as them, and they say that they are more localized, but they still kill off some of the other stuff. And then if you were to go in with the herbal antimicrobials, in this example of the garden, it's like you are selectively pulling out the weeds. So by the time you finish, you've got no weeds, but you've also still got your really good healthy plants. So then you've got less work to do out the other side. With the element buggery as well. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. So you have much less work to do after, and you it's often a similar amount of time as well. And so but by the time you've finished, you've got way less work to do. You're off to your running stuff. Love it. Um, with the elemental diet, so the elemental diet is your pre is all your nutrients, but in a pre-digested state. So it is free form amino acids versus whole proteins like eating a piece of steak. And then you have your carbohydrate source, which could be dextrose or glucose, or if you can tolerate it, you can have some honey. And then this is the homemade version. I prefer the homemade version if you're going to do it. Dr. Seabecker, again, has it on her site, seaboinfo.com, because I find a lot of the pre-made formulas have so much dextrose in there, which is the glucose. And a lot of people with SIBO also have CFO, which is small intestinal fungal overgrowth, often like a candida issue. So it just exacerbates the candida issue. Anywho, I digress. <laughs> so um, you can also add in your vitamins and minerals, and you would need to do that for two to three weeks. So all the studies show it's, it's effective in cleaning the SIBO. So the studies have showed that it can be up to 80% effective after two weeks and up to 85% effective after three weeks, which is an amazing result. But I find that it's the after effects that don't go so well. So because you haven't had food for a little while, if it's, it's a form of fasting, so you're still getting all your physical nutrients, but you are abstaining from food. So I find the rebound is really hard for people. And there's a saying like any fool can fast, but how you break your fast is the, is the tricky bit. So coming out of the elemental diet and reintroducing the foods, just from my personal experience and what I've seen with my clients is that it is really hard. And then there can be increased bloating that often often see and further than my clients as well, if I see people asking me on my Instagram page, I get lots of questions there. They often comment that binging is a thing. So getting to like this binge restrict cycle just because they haven't had food and that they've been emotionally deprived for so long that when they, it's like opening the floodgates. So my sure. preferred way is the herbal antimicrobials. It's the most calm. It's the most gentle. You can still hurt yourself with them. So do, I highly recommend working with someone that knows what they're doing. And it doesn't have to suck, so why not? <laughs> so I've seen such um, different information available out there regarding the diets, and so you've been dominantly not doing a super restricted diet alongside the treatment. But um, I've seen people, a lot of people, doing uh, the biphasic diet. Um, from yeah. Dr. Nirala and Jacob I. And so, like, I've I've done that a lot in clinic too. So how would you sort of weigh up the options of that compared to the elemental diet or even to the FODMAP diet, which is often recommended for SIBO too? I love the biphasic diet. So that's definitely a starting point I use a lot with my clients. So the biphasic diet is a combination between the SIBO-specific diet and the low FODMAP diet. And the foods in the biphasic diet are so healthy and they're also very anti-inflammatory. And then they're low in the highly fermentable carbohydrates, so they help with starving the SIBO bacteria. But because they're also so low in all the trigger foods, even just by eating these foods, you're going to start to heal up leaky gut. And most people that have SIBO have some degree of leaky gut as well. So there's that. And so doing this for some time, it's often, even though it is restrictive, there's often the freedom in the restriction because it's the first time in a long time that people aren't having digestive issues. So I love, love, love the biphasic as a starting point. And you can still get the diversity in your foods 
through the biphasic diet. And then in terms of diversity, we want to be aiming for 40 plus different plant foods each week. And that's how we really look after our large intestine microbiome. And you can still do that with the biphasic diet, even though it is restrictive. And I like I prefer this over the FODMAP diet because with the FODMAP diet, it still has things in there like white bread. So that might be food that starves the SIBO bacteria, but that's going to be really inflammatory for the digestive system. So it's really, really good. Well, that's a great differentiation there. Um, so the biphasic diet then is something that, you know, is so... Um, like confusing for people to launch into because like they do feel like you know like say that they haven't been coming at it from a FODMAT diet they do feel like they're so restricted so is it something that you tend to wean people into or just jump all in depends where they're at it's um it's so individual so SIBO treatment so individual and I love to work with people with where they're at so if someone, I don't tend to get many people that are stuck on a standard American diet but say someone was like I don't know, like <laughs> hamburgers and fries and milkshakes, I wouldn't take them straight into the biphasic diet because they would feel awful. So if someone was like that, I would make slow adjustable changes. And replacing is always easier than taking away. So if you're someone that's having eight coffees per day, you could still have eight hot drinks per day, but maybe alternate with a herbal tea and then wean that down to three, wean that down to two, wean that down to one. And so with the biphasic diet, I if they're not too unhealthy I guess <laughs> in terms of their food choices <laughs> I'll get them to I get everyone to start in the there's a blue column and the green column which is the restricted and the semi-restricted so I get them to start in the blue column and then it's how long you stay there is depending on how quickly you progress so say your bloating starts at an eight out of ten you want to I sort of wait for people to go down by at least a third preferably half so say they're starting an 8 out of 10, waiting until your bloating goes down to a 5 or a 4 out of 10, and then progressing into the green column, which is a little bit more flexible. You've got more fruits in there, and the serving sizes are different as well. And yes, it's restrictive, but the more you put in, the more you get out, and the quicker that you'll get better. Just like if I was to fall off my bike and scrape my knee, if I mostly left the scab alone, just picked it once or twice a week, just a little pick. Yes, it's like it better, but it takes so much longer. So why not just get it all done? It's healthy food anyway, and it's going to take care of your SIBO. It's going to take care of leaky gut. It's going to take care of inflammation in the body. So it's so worth it. And there's so many people that are now onto the SIBO and providing SIBO recipes, like Rebecca Coombs got the healthy gut, and she's got heaps of recipes. She's got hardback um, books. Uh, is it Heidi Turner, maybe? But even if you just Google SIBO recipes now, there's so many. And just and it's healthy food. And you don't have to have SIBO to eat them. So if you have a family, you can cook this food for everyone. And they probably wouldn't even notice if you didn't tell them. <laughs> I think it's just the, the deciding what to eat. That is probably where a lot of people do struggle. But because there's so many resources out, resources out there, it does make life a lot mm. easier. Yeah, and having a plan for sure takes away the decision fatigue. If, if you're someone that struggles with overeating in the evening, if you plan what you want to eat during that day and then follow through with your plan, you'll find that you're not obsessing about food so much. There's a fine line, I think, between having awareness of your food and awareness of your symptoms and obsessing about them because that obsession can just exacerbate them, which is so annoying because you're trying to do your best, but sometimes... I like to recommend make your peace with what you're doing and then forget about it as much as possible and make sure you're doing lots of other things as well. That's such a great tip because it's so mm. common um, to, to fixate on a health issue and then that makes the, yep. the whole thing worse. Sure. So it's very understandable, but, you know, that's, that's great advice. And I love what you said before as well in the, um, the, the phrase, there's freedom in the restriction because you've got freedom mm. from your symptoms. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes it yeah, so much exactly. better. Mm. Yeah. And, totally. and the importance of the variety of the different plant vegetables because the variety of our microbiome, the lack of that in the first place is contributing to so much issues and the, the lack of variety of vegetables is contributing to that. So yeah, exactly. Back to the original um, cause. So um, I, 
I like to say, you know, try a new vegetable every week when you're uh, cool. first getting into the habit of um, increasing your variety. And it can be so overwhelming, but there's so many wonderful fruit and vegetables out there that it just they seem so strange to people, but they're so delicious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just starting with where you're at, I've had like people come to me on the carnivore diet and for me to say 40 different plant foods, hey, it's like, oh my God, don't tell me to do that. So I would say maybe just next week, try five. And for it to count in terms of your microbiome growth, only a teaspoon and up counts as a serving size. So that could be a teaspoon of oregano, like fresh oregano. It could be a teaspoon of like say a teaspoon equivalent, it could be one cherry tomato, that would count as the diversity score. So the bigger the diversity in your food, there's different kinds of fibers in all the different kinds of plant foods. Those specific different kinds of fibers feed different kinds of bacteria. And if you don't use it, you lose it, just like your biceps. If you haven't done any gym work for a while and then try and lift a eight kilo dumbbell, it's going to hurt. So you work your way up to that one. And then when you have that diversity in your microbiome, I feel that's when you get back to having the food freedom and you're no longer scared of food. So that's when you can go to any restaurant and not be freaked out by the menu, for sure. <laughs> yeah, the, better, the more bacteria you have to eat the fibres, the less sensitive you are to the foods in the long 100%. run. 100%. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Jason. Jason Horlick before, and I'm also a big fan. And um, he talks about how we're getting species extinction in our gut, and how our microbiome diversity is just shrinking, 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 and that's such a problem. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so you mentioned a few supplements that you were talking about before. Um, Mm. So let's just sort of go into a little bit more of that. So you were talking about some of the antimicrobials that you would use and differentiated for whether it's hydrogen or methane predominant, like the the Alimax. And then you talked about the berberine-containing herbs. Um, Mm. So what what about working on things like the migrating motility complex and peristalsis? Sure. So there's a couple of different products from there. So motility is how well things are moving through our digestive tract. And there's different stages too, like your motility through your small intestine can be really fast, but then your motility through your large intestine can be really slow or vice versa. So products like Iberogast, I love Iberogast. That is a form of prokinetic. And it's also got other things in there that help with our stomach acid secretions and help with our liver and our gallbladder. So I love that as a product. It's available worldwide. There's also a product by Pure Encapsulations called Motel Pro that I really like. And that contains something called, it's got ginger and then also 5-HTP, which is the precursor to serotonin. So serotonin is a natural um, prokinetic too. Again, why we want our bacteria because then we naturally produce it and we have enough. So those are really good forms of prokinetics. I also bring in other things a lot of the time, depending on the person. So digestive enzymes can be really helpful, even if it's just while you are naturally repairing the body to make its own. So in the small intestine, we have the villi and the microvilli. They're kind of like these little seaweed things that release the brush border enzymes to break down the food. And if you want a visual, it's kind of like the fish swimming through the seaweed. So our food would go swimming through these little villi and the microvilli. But if your seaweed is dead, then the fish are going to swim past and not get cleaned. So if your microvilli are, like with inflammation, definitely reduces them. So the less microvilli that you have, the less brush border enzymes that you have. So your digestive ability will go down. So even while you're just repairing that, supporting yourself with digestive enzymes can be really helpful. Sometimes also betaine can help with your stomach acid secretions. Because, did you know, actually, there's um, recent research coming out that the bacterial... <laughs> I get so excited. The bacterial DNA... I love DNA, it. <laughs> doing a little dance. <laughs> yeah. The bacterial DNA in the SIBO bacteria, they do it through the PCR testing, the polymerase chain reaction testing, which is, like, really accurate. So the DNA in the SIBO bacteria actually more closely resembles the DNA of the bacteria in the mouth than it does the large intestine. So the most common belief is that the bacteria get into the small intestine through retrograde flow. So from the large intestine, it swims back up into the small intestine, often to do with a faulty ileocecal valve. But if the bacterial DNA mostly catches, resembles, what did I say? Resembles the DNA in the mouth, then you can even think of the stomach acid not being strong enough. And so it doesn't kill the bacteria on the way and it gets into the small intestine. That's a huge underlying cause of SIBO. 
So looking after your stomach acid is very, very important. And you can do that with the betaine. And then as your body comes back into balance, it'll start producing it by itself as well. And um, that would be very much indicated um, as you we were talking about before with the like strep coming from the upper respiratory tract infections, just trickling down. Yep, 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 yep. And then also um, mouth infections Doesn't get too. through that filter. So check, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and checking on what's going on with your teeth. So if you haven't been to the dentist in a while, this is me telling you to go to the dentist. <laughs> Um, also when you're treating with the antimicrobials it's a good idea to bring in what we call a biofilm disruptor so if you've had about a bacterial infection for anything longer than two weeks and most people with SIBO have had it longer than two weeks then the bacteria they're very clever they don't want to die so they produce this thing called a biofilm which is like a, a casing around them so they're protected against things that want to kill them so a biofilm disruptor will come along and pierce this membrane and allowing the antimicrobials to really get in there and kill them that's a good one. If um, I suspect CFO as well, or fungal overgrowth, uh, you can do that. Then neem is a really good product to bring in there too. Mm-hmm. And then also thinking about the things not to do with the digestive system. So if you are that 10 out of 10 under stress, definitely looking at adrenal and nervous system support. Because if you're in a constant fight or flight mode, then you won't be able to get into your rest and your desk repair mode. So it always needs to be addressed. Ah, oh, Yes. I mean, for anyone that's listening that's not a practitioner, they're probably like, oh, my God, there's so many things. But I guess that's where someone like yourself comes in and just fine-tunes it and, like, this is your specialty. You're just like, yes, I know exactly what you need. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> narrows it, it down. It, it 100% can get overwhelming. I totally get it. And sometimes different experts say different things. And that doesn't necessarily mean that one is right and everybody else is wrong. There are multiple ways to get to the destination. You just can't go all the ways. Just like if you go on Google Maps and there's four different ways to get to where you want to go, you can't go all four ways. You need to choose one and get there. I love that analogy. (laughs) (laughs) When you're struggling with a condition for for a long time and it's really affecting your quality Mm. of life, it it is so common for people to just go onto Google and and look up all the options and then, yep, I'm going to do all the things. But it doesn't do you any favours. No. If Dr. Google is your, what do they say? If your doctor's last name is Google, it's time for a second opinion. (laughs) (laughs) And even though it can sometimes be a financial investment, you're going to almost always, you're going to save yourself money in the long run because then you won't have these unused supplements that end up in your kitchen cupboard or under the bed and you can, and you get to where you want to go faster. So it's usually either investing time or money. So if you don't have money, then I probably suggest finding a practitioner that you gel with and you like with and following their advice and investing your time into investigating as much as you can so that you can make yourself a treatment plan. If you do have money, totally invest in seeing someone that knows what they do because you'll save yourself money and time. And you can't get back time. You always earn more money, but you can't get back time. Mm, so true. So um, what are the, some of the common mistakes that you see people making? <laughs> no. Not working with a practitioner. Okay. <laughs> I'd be the one. Um, the Facebook groups, for sure. Um, I did it myself. It was a mistake that I made myself. So when I first got diagnosed with SIBO, I wanted to learn. And I was, a, I was a naturopath already at the time. So I had so much knowledge on the digestive system, but it was just a whole new world. It's like, what? What have I got? And then I went into the Facebook groups and just to see what everybody else was doing. And I thought my life was over at the age of 32 because no one in there is getting better. And I was like, oh, my gosh, my life's over. I'm doomed to have these digestive issues. I'm never going to be able to date again. I'm never going to have a family again. Because people that are in the Facebook groups are following everybody else's advice. And what works for Susie could be a different word works for Jane, could be different works for Rebecca. The causes, even if the symptoms are the same, the causes can be different. So even if it's saving up to, at the time I was, I was in debt, but I saved up and I booked a session with Dr. Horlack just to uncross all my wires. So I did so much research behind the scenes. I came up with what I thought was a plan and I just wanted to have someone tell me, okay, yes, go that and tweak it. So for sure, getting stuck in those groups, I don't recommend it. It's very gloomy and people get quite depressed in there. So that would be a big one. And then trying to do all the things would be another thing. And then I often even see people doing the right things, but not at the right dose or for long enough. So they started getting on the right track, but maybe it's a follow through enough is a common one too. And then also thinking that, um, or continuing to eat if trigger because oh, it's just a little bit, it won't hurt. Probably will. <laughs> yeah. If it, if you got that much of a reaction to a food, then even a small dose. <laughs> yeah. But you know, and it's, even it's such a, 
Another big mistake that I see people make is going into overkill. So thinking that because they still have symptoms, that they still have SIBO. And I just see them doing multiple and multiple and multiple rounds of the killing, but not enough of the restoring. So even though herbs are natural, if you overdo it and for too long, you can hurt your large intestinal microbiome. And then that can still cause the symptoms, even if it's not SIBO. Again, I'm a great case in point. So I managed to clear my SIBO in three months, which is great, but I still had symptoms. So I was like getting ready to go again with another round of antimicrobials. I was like, I'm just going to test and see how much progress that I made. And it turned out I cleared my SIBO. I was like, oh, great. So I went into the repairing stage and I didn't have to do more killing. So I think it's a really great idea to retest after you've done your round of whatever treatment you choose, antimicrobials, antibiotics, elemental, to retest, see where you're at, and then go from there if you need to do another round or not. If you do need to do another round, self at least six weeks between treatment, for sure. Just for that chance for the for the gut to heal. Mm. Yeah, yeah, or to start healing. So, do you recommend? You definitely recommend retesting. I do, I do, I do. Yeah. Unless someone's ninety four percent better, then I don't. But otherwise, everyone else, yes. Just so being okay. And even if it's for peace of mind, because sometimes if someone's like, no, 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 better, better, better. Every time they get bloated, oh my gosh, it's super back. And they eat a hamburger. Oh no, have I messed it up? It's super back. And the mind is so powerful and that just can cloud over everything as well. So even if it's for peace of mind, it's so worth it. Just knowing. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's such a great point. So do you recommend six months? For retesting? I recommend retesting, retesting yeah. as soon as you finish your treatment plan, whatever it is. So if it was the antimicrobials, the antibiotics or the elemental, retesting the day after. And then if it's cleared, if it's for your peace of mind, um, if, if you find that you're catching yourself wondering if it's back, like a lot, if you're starting to obsess about it, then just for peace of mind, like retest in about six months. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. Are there certain probiotics that people shouldn't take while they're getting treated for SIBO? Most of them, actually, because just remembering that SIBO is an overgrowth of bacteria, not necessarily bad. So sometimes it can be an overgrowth of your good bacteria, like your lactobacilli or bifidobacterium. So most mm. of the time, I don't bring in the probiotics until SIBO is cleared. Exceptions are there's a strain lactobacilli ruteri, which you can find it in the Protectus by BioGaia. And this one is really good at lowering methane levels. So if someone's got the methane dominant SIBO, I'll often bring that one in from the beginning. And then there's another yeast-based probiotic called Saccharomyces boulardii, and this can help to displace candida. So that one is quite helpful too, and that doesn't overgrow. Then once SIBO is cleared, it depends on the person and what they need. So not all probiotics are appropriate for all people. There's another strain, Lactobacillus, I know, yeah, Lactobacillus plantarum 299V, and this is a very mm. anti-inflammatory stain of probiotic. In Australia, you can find it in Ethical Nutrients IBS Support. Uh, overseas, you can find it in Jaro Formulations Ideal Bowel Support. That's often really helpful. And then I, I love the Ubiome test, so then I can really see what people need and go from there. And also different strains, just like pharmaceuticals. So say for like an antidepressant, it's probably not going to help with a headache and a Tylenol is maybe not going to help with depression. So different probiotic strains can be beneficial for different symptoms in the body. So if someone is, gets recurrent sinus infections, then you might look at your lactobacillus rhamnosus. So there's different strains that you use from there. And it's actually the prebiotics that are more important in repopulating your gut bacteria. So mm -hmm. probiotics are pro-life and that's your, your strains that you get in the little bottles. And by nature, they are transient, which means that they would stay in the body for three or four days and then pass through. But then your prebiotics are like your nutrients for your soil. So the more healthy your soil, the more likely the plants are going to stick in and take hold. So on your little probiotic bottles, you'll notice that there's like 10 billion CFUs. And the CFU stands for colony forming unit. So you want your little bacteria to be happy enough and in a nice environment enough to stick around and form a colony. And then it becomes like a self-regulating machine. Um, favorite prebiotics, there's partially hydrolyzed guai gum. Again, that's helpful in reducing the methane levels. So I can bring that one in quite soon. It tends to be the most well tolerated as well. And with pre and probiotics, slow and steady is absolutely the way to get there faster. So I often start my guys on a quarter of a teaspoon and then build up from there. 
Yep. Okay. Be- beautiful. I'm, I'm also a big fan of the guar gum as well for SIBO. <laughs> it's a good one. Other ones are like acacia gum. You get your fos, your moss, your goss, inulin. There's a bunch of different ones. And you can mix them all together. And this can be like a long-term addition to your, just your diet. It's just like eating lots of different vegetables. It's really, really helpful. Yeah, for sure. Beautiful. So in your experience, how long does it usually take for people to get to a point that they're feeling quite better? It's so different. And again, what you put in is what you get out. So you could heal, you could clear your SIBO in six weeks, but then it depends it depends how long you've had it and how intense it was. So sometimes people clear this here in six months, we do a little bit of gut work, and then in three months they're off on their merry little way, which is amazing. That's not super common though. So with myself, I managed to clear my SIBO in, well, I retested after three months, so it might have been sooner. But <laughs> it would probably be like a year after that that I could feel healed. And for me, the definition of healed is forgetting how sick you were. So it's just starting to realize like, oh, it's been ages since I've been bloated. Oh, I can actually eat all these things without getting any pain. Oh, I'm not freaked out by going to a restaurant anymore. So that's my definition there. Um, But the average, I'd probably say you're looking at about six months. And sometimes it can be longer. But it doesn't mean that you feel awful for the whole six months. So you could feel significantly better in like six weeks. And then it's just a slow progression. I kind of find like the 80-20 rule. So you can feel 80% better in 20% of the time and then spend 80% of the time getting that last 20% better. Mm. Different for different people. That's a great rule. Mm. I guess because you're doing so much of the mop-up work afterwards, like you've got that intensive period at the start where you're removing the um, the infection and mm-hmm. then it's healing and repairing after that period of time which yeah. I guess you know you could think of it as maybe that's the bit of the boring stuff but it's so <laughs> integral yeah. it's so important and so it's what steady. Makes and yeah the slower that you go the faster you'll get to the destination for sure but you don't have to wait to work on the, the microbiome and all the other things. So when you do like the biphasic diet and if you're working on stomach acid at the same time, you can do that alongside your antimicrobials. So it's just so much easier when you get there. And the diversity in the foods through the biphasic diet really helps to heal up leaky gut even before you go in with things like glutamine. Diversity. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. So... Uh, what's your take-home message for everyone that's listening? Oh, there could be so many, but probably my biggest one is that you can absolutely get better from SIBO. You don't have to just have digestive symptoms for the rest of your life. And just that if you do have them doing the test to find out for sure if it is that and then you know what you're dealing with. And then if you can, just investing in yourself and working with someone that knows what they're doing, even if it's just at the start to get like a guideline, you'll get better so much quicker. And don't rely on the face. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Great. Yeah. So um, by the time that this comes out, I believe that you're going to have an, an, an exciting course available. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. So I have finally, I've been thinking about this for the last two years. So I'm finally just about to launch my online course. Name is yet to be decided, but at the moment I'm calling it Free Yourself from SIBO and it's the online version of what I take my private clients and my group coaching clients through because I currently got to, I do I do sometimes see I do still see private clients but my wait list is really long so I just I can't do only so many hours in the day so then I started doing group coaching programs and then they started filling out so this is the online version program of those for the people that want to help themselves and or just don't have the finances because I get I get that I get that it's totally not available to everybody so it's going to be a three-month online do-it-yourself version and then the content is going to be drip fed so that you avoid the overwhelm so I show you and I show you how it's like a how to do it so I show you how to order yourself a test and how to interpret the test I show you how to design your own treatment plan and then there'll be things that you have to know each to get through the program and it'll also be a massive bank of question and answers because a lot of the, I get so many questions and answers on or questions and then I answer them. And <laughs> 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 uh, so there'll be a massive bank of all that. So if you want to know 
that um, you want to gain weight as well. So then you can do this because not everybody wants to gain weight. Some people want to lose weight. So that would be a different venture. If you also have smelly gas, then do this. Um, there'll be so much information. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. I'm really, really excited about it. That's so exciting. <laughs> I think it's such a wonderful resource because, like we were saying, there's so many people out there that do experience this and um, avoiding the overwhelm of the oversupply of sometimes wrong information um, will mean that people can just get get themselves sorted so much quicker. And given how important gut health is for everyone and so many different factors, especially mental health, you know, we're just going to make the world a better place. (laughs) And it's overwhelmed. Like if you tell me to do 87 different things, that's going to be too much and I'm going to go Netflix instead. So I want it to be accessible and understandable and show these people how to look after themselves. So then when you have the knowledge of how to look up to yourself, it's so empowering and then you can take back your health and you have the choice of how you want to feel, which is awesome. I will put the link for that in the show notes because by the time that this is aired, it should be live, I'm guessing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Great. So if people wanted to get in contact with you, what's the best place for them to find you? Um, I am most active on Instagram. So my Instagram name is Kirsten Swales Naturopath, which I get is hard to spell. So I'm sure that will be in the show notes too. <laughs> um, and then my current website is just my name, KirstenSwales.com. But I'm also just about to launch SiboClinic.com because I'm going to bring on some more naturopaths as well to help me with my private client load because I just I just can't see everyone at the moment so that's quite exciting and then to get in touch with me by email the uh, best is through my assistant she manages everything and that's admin at kirstenspell.com awesome thank you oh my gosh you are just so amazing to talk to about SIBO you've got all this knowledge and you make it so easy to understand so I'm just so excited to put this podcast out there and have everyone learn from you (laughs) so grateful thank you (laughs) thank you so much for your time it's been such a pleasure (laughs) thank you for having me you're so welcome so bye everyone I hope that you've enjoyed today Bye, 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 bye.